Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. We have been hearing from the prophets for the past several weeks. Three weeks ago, we heard from Micah with his reminder that God wants. God's people to love justice and kindness and walk humbly. Last week we heard from Isaiah, and Isaiah spoke of God's dream for God's people. And today we are hearing from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who was called to speak during some hard years for the people of Israel. He comes to his call during the time called the Babylonian exile, where the um, Israelites and the inhabitants of Jews, Jerusalem were repeatedly attacked and scattered. And as it often happens in times of great tragedy, tragedy, the people were wondering why. What has happened? What did we do? What can we fix? Why are we under attack? And Jeremiah comes at this time with a hard message. Because he interprets the current suffering of the people as being something, um, a punishment that is being visited on them by God because they have failed to do the justice that God has asked of them. And while we may not understand God's love in that same way, the text of Jeremiah uh, resonates throughout our culture even today with its call for justice. And it's demand that God's people remember who they are. So as we hear this well-known passage this morning, this is right at the beginning of the book. It is Jeremiah's call to his ministry, to his prophetic words. Keep in mind that he is establishing why he is saying these things. He's making sort of a case for what he is about to say. And listen to um, for the hardness that he finds in this, I think he too is wondering and wishing this wasn't the message that he's called to bring. Let's hear these words today. Verses 4 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you for my own. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet of the nations. Ah, Lord God, I answered, but I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said, Do not call yourself a child, for you will go, uh, you shall go for whatever people I send you and say whatever I tell you to say. Fear none of them, for I am with you and will keep you safe. This was the very word of the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put words in your mouth. This day I give you authority over all nations, over kingdoms, to pull down, to uproot, to destroy, to demolish, to build, and to plant. Here ends our reading. 
In 2013, researchers at the University of California in Irvine conducted an experiment, and they rigged a series of Monopoly games. Some of you may have heard of this. At the beginning of each of the game, one player was given $2,000. They were given two dice, and they were given an extra turn around the board. The other player was given $1,000. They were given one dice, and when they passed go, they would receive $100. Each player knew this about the game. It was up front. It wasn't hidden. And yet, if you have ever played Monopoly with a particularly competitive family, you might be able to predict what happened next. The players with the advantage took great joy in beating their opponents. Not only did they coldly collect the money every time somebody landed on their rental property, but they were kind of aggressive about skipping their little marker around the board. And at the end of the game, when the researchers asked them, why did you win? They said they were better players. They were able to talk about the skilled moves that they had made, their overall strategy, that they always buy Park Place. And they appear to have forgotten that they started out with an advantage in the first place. We know people like that. And sometimes we are people like that. I suspect that one of the reasons that people overemphasize their own skill and underemphasize the help that they receive is that because when they recognize the help, they would be required to be grateful. And gratitude can feel a lot like indebtedness. When we are thankful for something, we recognize that we also owe something. And you've experienced this if maybe you've ever felt a little uneasy accepting somebody's generosity. And yet, choosing not to be grateful is in many ways dishonest. The Buddhist teaching links gratitude with honesty in this way. The Blessed One that said, Now, what is the level of a person of no integrity? A person of no integrity is ungrateful and unthankful. And it goes on to say, a person of integrity, though, is grateful and thankful. In recent years, a lot has been said about gratitude and its power. We now know that Bing Crosby's old advice, when you're worried and you can't sleep, Count your blessings instead of sheep is actually pretty good advice. A regular practice of gratitude, like a gratitude journal, maybe, or a gratitude tree, makes us happier. It makes us less fearful. It makes us more resilient. But the spiritual traditions, including Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, look at gratitude at another level. Their claim is that gratitude is about ethics. 
The practice of gratitude points us outward. It encourages us to be people of wonder. And so we marvel at the amazing blue sky, the sun that was so bright that we had to close the shades today. We marvel at the newborn baby, at the chance encounter that we had with somebody at exactly the moment that we needed it. And we are left in awe of everything that we have. Whether that's a coincidence or the universe or God working in our lives, gratitude for the big and the small things inspires reverence. When the prophet Jeremiah spoke to his people, this is what he was asking of them. Before the Babylonian invasion, they had become like the people in the Monopoly experiment. Rather than recognizing the grace that filled their lives, they had made idols of power and money, literally worshipped new gods based on what that god could give them. And they had forgotten their story which is fundamentally a story of what God has done. They turned inward, thinking of what they could accomplish rather than outward to appreciate the gifts they had been given. And so Jeremiah, with all of his fire and brimstone, is asking them to remember their relationship with each other and with God. And to remember that it was a web it was a complex web of interdependence that they had received things. And it was right to be asked to give back. Gratitude doesn't just make us happier people or more spiritual people. Gratitude makes us better people because gratitude naturally flows into generosity. I've often thought what a wondrous and proper time of year it is that we start out with a holiday dedicated to giving thanks and move into the season of giving. It is the flow of our spiritual work. But gratitude doesn't just stop there. Gratitude sustains us for the work. And I think of that because I know so many of you are engaged in acts of justice and looking for ways to hang on when it seems hard. I recently read the story of the Catholic social activist Dorothy Day. And if you know of her, it's from her work and her advocacy for the poor. She did a great deal with nonviolence, and she inspired communities to build and live according to these ideals. What I didn't know about Dorothy Day is that she was active in social justice work long before she was religious. It was only after the birth of her daughter that Day experienced a profound sense of gratitude for life itself. And she joined the Catholic Church. The daily Mass fed her soul because it is built around the practice of thanksgiving. 
And it is through this spiritual practice that she found the courage to keep going, despite the ups and the downs that came. And you remember, you remember how Jeremiah started out his story? He heard God's voice softly calling, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah was anchored in the simple and the profound gratitude for life. His own mission, his own call, his own gathering back and inspiring the people flowed out of his reverence for life. And I think it is the gratitude that sustained him when the work for justice got hard. So I take this as encouragement today. Because it means that whatever it is that we are called to do, wherever we find ourselves this season, whether we are wrestling with fear and anxiety, whether we are trying to be a better person, whether we're hoping to just keep going in the work that we have started. The way forward is so simple that it has come to sound cliche. Learn to be people of thankfulness. And let your generosity flow from there. As we turn to a time of space this morning, I invite you into a practice of gratitude with me. Try it. See if it's something that works for you at home. And so I'd invite you to be comfortable. Close your eyes if that is easy for you, if that feels good. And as you think back over the past week, see if you can find a moment that inspires gratitude. And when that moment comes to you, stay with it. Imagine what happened and feel the feeling of that moment. And we offer thank you to God for the gifts that we have been given. Amen. Amen.